Now, Lord, come, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that your word would be spoken and your word alone received. In Christ's name, amen. amen. It's easy to pick on Jesus' disciples this morning in the boat uh, to criticize them for their fear. Think about it with me. They had seen him do astounding miracles. By this point, they'd seen him heal hundreds, maybe thousands of people. They'd seen him still a storm with a word from his mouth. They'd seen him drive out demons. They saw him feed five or 10,000 people with a few loaves and fish. They'd seen him raise a young girl from the dead. They had watched him exercising power over the forces of nature, over the laws of nature, over death and disease. And so why are they such fraidy cats now when they see him walking on the waves? Why did they assume that he was a ghost? Why are they crying out in terror? Surely, a man with the power over death and disease and demons, the power over the laws of nature can go for a stroll on the lake if he feels like it. Where was their courage? Why are they so afraid? Well, before we judge them too harshly, perhaps we're best uh, to look at ourselves for a moment. We are Christians in the body of Christ, the church filled with the Holy Spirit, God himself living within us, and yet are we not also often afraid? Am I speaking to the right people this morning? Actually, maybe I'm not, because everybody else is afraid of the, of the floodwaters, and they stayed home this morning. <laughs> maybe you are the courageous, but actually I think not. I think we're all afraid, are we not? I won't ask for a show of hands this morning, but how many of us occasionally at least wake up at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, as I do, overwhelmed with the issues, the problems that we're facing, uh, overcome perhaps with fear about some disaster. I don't know what it is about 4 o'clock in the morning, but somehow at 4 a.m., even the most remote disaster seems like it's going to hit for certain uh, sometime tomorrow. We're afraid. How many of us live day to day with sort of a generalized anxiety, a vague undefined fear of something bad happening. The psychologists uh, tell us that we're all, we have common fears, four or five of them, that we all share. Fear of death, fear of losing our autonomy, fear of separation, fear of humiliation and shame. I mean, after all, that object of life is looking good, so we are desperately afraid, most of us, of not looking good. 75% the polls say of us are afraid, or very afraid, of something Anything from disease to, to corruption in the government to running out of money before we run out of the need for money to global warming or air pollution or whatever it is. Fear is prevalent. It is not uh, per se irrational fear. Henry Cobb, the Christian psychologist, says the universe is big, you're small, do the math. What, what he means by that is that we live in a fallen world that's filled with harsh realities and pain loss and illness and accidents and all of those things, and we're small. Relatively speaking, we're fragile, we're vulnerable, do the math. Fear is rational, it is not unreasonable, it is understandable, but it isn't faithful. Jesus says here to the disciples as he reaches the boat, he says, take heart, it is odd, don't be afraid. He said the same thing you might remember to Jairus, we saw several weeks back in our gospel, Jairus has got a daughter who's dying. He goes and gets Jesus, the healing rabbi, and Jesus is on his way to heal the dying girl, and they get word that she's died already. It's too late. 
And Jesus turns to Jairus, and remember what he says? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't even be afraid of death. Just believe. For the disciples, their fear belied their trust. Their fear was equated with unbelief. And should it be any different for us, we who are born-again Christians, who are counting Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Now, you might say to me, well, Paul, that's fine, but they saw his miracle. They were standing there when he raised dead people and turned the loaves into feeding for thousands of people and healed. They were there. We weren't there. We haven't seen those miracles. I would say, but you, but you have. I have. Have you not seen the miracle? <coughs> when I was 30 years old, I was employed as a lawyer. I was not a Christian. I was dead in my sins. I was hopeless in that sense. I didn't have a, a grounding purpose in my life. I was clueless about being a good husband or a good parent. We were living beyond our means. I had tremendous stress in my work. And Jesus Christ came into my life and transformed my life, changed every aspect of my life, brought me from dead to alive, gave me direction, hope for the future, the Holy Spirit to guide me. Huge miracle. I've seen a miracle. Have you? If, if we're Christians, if we've given our hearts, our lives to Jesus Christ, and we've experienced the miraculous wonder of his love and his forgiveness, cleansing of our sins. If you haven't experienced that, well, talk to me afterwards, or, or wait till Ken comes back and talk to him, but pray with someone, because that's normative Christianity, that we've experienced the miracle of rebirth. We've seen people healed when we pray for them. Not everybody, but sometimes. We've seen relationships restored, not, not every time, but sometimes we've seen the miracle of Christ at work in our midst. Now, I'm not saying this morning that fear is sin, though I think it can become sinful. It is not sin necessarily, but it is unfaithful. It belies an active trust in God. It reflects negatively on our belief in God's goodness and his love and his power. The scripture is clear. We should not fear. Jesus said it over and over and over again to his followers. Be not afraid. He was talking about persecution. He told them, don't fear the one that can, can throw the body into hell, that cannot kill the soul. Don't fear the Romans. Don't fear crucifixion. Fear rather, he said, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell, referring to God the Father. That's the only fear that the scripture encourages for us. A holy reverence and awe-filled respect for God the Father. Jesus called his disciples to leave their nets, their fishing boats, and follow him. Leave behind everything that's familiar to you. Leave behind your means of the livelihood. Leave behind your families. He said to them, do not fear. Do not be afraid. You, tomorrow you'll be fishing for men. At the Last Supper, he said, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. It's part of what Paul is getting at in our epistle lesson this morning. Paul's in prison for his faith. And he's calling out, urging the persecuted church, the Christians in the persecuted church, to live a life worthy of the calling they have in Jesus Christ, to, to serve the one who is God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, he says. In other words, serve and live not as prisoners to fear, but as children of an almighty God. Bottom line, we should not fear. We should not live in fear. Okay, now I've got a, a tip for you this morning for listening to sermons, okay? Here's, here's my advice for all sermons, for all preachers, anytime. When you hear a should in a sermon, 
First of all, you can expect my wife to get up and leave the room, okay? Because we, we don't do shoulds in our society. I gave you a should. I mean, we should or should not live in fear. Whenever you get that in a sermon, you should ask the question, how? In fact, you should maybe raise your hand and say, okay, we get it, but how? You could say to me, Paul, you just said that fear is rational. The universe is big, we're small. How can we live without fear? How can we do that? How? Well, the scripture gives us guidance and it gives us hope. You remember the man who came to Jesus wanting healing for his demon-possessed son. And Jesus said uh, he would help only believe. Remember what the man said to him? He said, well, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my fear. I, I, I believe, but I'm fearful. Help me. That's what Elisha is doing in our, in our Old Testament reading this morning. He's afraid. His mentor, Elijah, he's been following Elijah around. Elijah's got this great power. He's doing all these miracles, and Elisha's going to inherit that mantle. But he's afraid. He won't leave Elijah. And then when Elijah's, Elijah's being taken, he, he prays for a double portion. He asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, that he might be able to do the work. If we're afraid, our first line of defense is prayer, an active relationship with the living God, to ask him to come and give us strength, to give us courage. We also have the Holy Spirit. If we've given our hearts to Christ, we've received the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, is living within us. And, and part of that is to strengthen us, to give us courage and hope. So we ask the Lord by his Spirit to increase courage. We have the Psalms. The Bible's prayer book. I can't tell you how many times I woke up at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning as a lawyer and, and was instantly aware of the fact that the workload in front of me was not doable, that it was overwhelming, that I was going to fail at it, I was going to let people down, lose clients, and overwhelm with fear. I got up, go downstairs, get the Bible, and start reading the Psalms. And in moments, literally five to ten minutes, my fear would be gone. I'd get my perspective back. The Psalms are good for that. Give us a fresh wind of the Spirit, renewed trust in the Lord. Not just the Psalms, plenty of scriptures are encouraging God's promises. So get some of that into your minds and hearts. Memorize it. Call upon the Word of God when we're afraid. Hymns work for me. I, there's a current contemporary song, maybe we'll do it someday, uh, that has a refrain I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. Get that in your head three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Or the, the hymn we just sang, Oh, God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, shelter from the stormy blast in our eternal home. When I was holding my new, newborn daughter, first child, I was terrified of being a parent. And I'm holding her, looking at her, and that, the words to that hymn, most of the verses came to me suddenly. What a comfort. We have finally the church. The Paul says in the epistle, when the church is being the church, we will grow up into him who is the head, even Jesus Christ, into the full measure, the stature of Christ. And so bring your fears to the church. Have a brother or sister that you can share a fear with and pray together. We will stand, you and I, against this world and against the fears of this world. We'll stand together. My point this morning is simple, that as Christians, we need to take fear serious and stand against it. We need to see fear the way Jesus sees it as a danger, a warning sign of weakened faith, of a lagging trust, and come against it. We need to attend to it. What 
do you fear this morning? Our Lord is faith powerful, calls upon us to cast all of our cares, all of our fears upon him. That is saving faith. This is important. That is trust. That is salvation. That you and I would so trust him, so believe his word, his promises, that we would cast all our fears upon him. We will find him faith, deliver us, to carry us, to bring us fear. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your call to us to live without fear. The power of your spirit strengthen us in the life. Call us to Christ's name.